This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Hello, I'm Anita Arnand and thank you for downloading BBC Radio 4's Any Answers, the sister programme to Any Questions. Good afternoon. Welcome to Any Answers. So, if you've been listening to Jonathan and his panel, you'll know there's an awful lot to talk about. Uh, first of all, your response to Theresa May's performance at party conference. Is she, in the words of a questioner, terminally damaged? Uh, particularly interested to hear from you if you are a Tory voter. Should she stay? Should she go? And if she were to go, who would you like to see in her stead? And we could talk about one former, possibly future contender. Should we talk about Boris Johnson? After his comments about cert this week, do you think he's fit for purpose? As a Prime Minister, as a Foreign Secretary, your thoughts? 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Uh, we can talk about young people and their expectation to own a house. Should it be every bit as possible for them to do so as it was for their grandparents? Is that as Theresa May put it, the British dream. Um, Let me know what you think, whether you're going through this. Also, we'd love to know what you make of the scenes coming out of Catalonia and your reactions to them and fracking. Uh, To frack or not to frack, 03700 100 444 is the number to call. You can text 84844 or, of course, you can tweet us using the hashtag BBCAQ. Let's, first of all, though, um, argy-bargy has been going on since the moment Theresa May stepped off the podium as to whether she should remain in post or not. And our first caller on this this afternoon is Nick Vinehill, who's calling us from Kings Lynn in Norfolk. Hello. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, well, I'm not a Conservative Party member or voter, so quite frankly, I couldn't really care what the Tories do with Theresa May or who they elected in electing her place. To me, however, the problem is not about the personality or the character who's in number 10, whoever they elect or whoever they put in to replace her will, will face exactly the same problems. It's not a case of uh, strong leadership or anything. People say that because she's a right Remainer at heart mm-hmm. that they should put a, a Brexiter in her place. But that, to me, is irrelevant because it's not a case of who's stalling. It's not a case of Theresa May stalling. It's the Brexit negotiations itself. itself. The facts and figures that are stalling, right. and no no different personality will be able to change that, whether it's Boris or Jason Re- Rees-Mogg. Oh, Jason. So, <laughs> right. I'm sure Jacob Jason, Rees-Mogg is going to... Jacob, yeah. No, 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 Jacob I think... I, no, I, 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 I like what you're doing there. Uh, but let, let me ask you this. Let me flip it round. You say you're not a Tory uh, party member, not a Tory supporter. May I ask who does have your allegiance? Well, quite frankly, I used to be a member of the Labour Party, but since it went off to the far right, uh, I'm kind of neutral, really. I'm more of a devil's advocate, really, in politics. Right. And, uh, since it went to the far right? Do you, under who? No, not, not, not the far right, but to, to, well, since it swung over to the Blair right. Right, OK, so they've lost you now. So so tell me this, then, who who is it? who inhabits a place where you think actually they could steer us through these negotiations in a, a, the well, safe pair of hands that you're looking for? I'm a bit of a cynic, really. There's not really anybody that's happy. You see, Therese, what one could decipher from what was understandable, decipherable from Theresa May's speech mm. is that the Tories do what they always do when they get into problems, and that's, that's adopt more state interventionist, not Marxist, but more state interventionist policies from the Labour Party, which they're doing over council housing okay. and, th- and things like that in the hope that nobody will realise. Okay. 
Okay. All right, Nick, thank you very much indeed. I just sort of, I'm only moving on because I'm sort of particularly interested in this week of the Tory party conference, in this week of that speech by that leader, uh, what you make of the future of that party. So let's uh, let's speak to Valerie O'Neill, who is calling from Ealing in London. Valerie, good afternoon. Hi. Um, you do keep breaking up, actually. Oh, well, that's always hard to do. But let, look, let's try. Let's try and stick with it, Valerie. Tell me, what did you make of the speech and what do you make I, I of Theresa May's position? I of the MPs against Mrs May is absolutely appalling and they should be ashamed of themselves. They are supposed to be educated men. Um, and honestly, their behaviour makes me ashamed to be English. Mrs May sticks to her word and she's an honourable lady. We are very, very lucky to have her. She said that she'll get us out of of the EU and I do believe that she will do. And I feel that all the MPs should get behind her because that's the only way we're going to get a decent deal. With all this nonsense and the way they're behaving, they're making a laughing stock of this country and that is really sad. I mean, so they may say, and they have been muttering in the background, that they need somebody a lot stronger, more muscular to get us through these these choppy waters which which lie ahead. Nobody's denying that it's going to be difficult in the months leading up to our actual leaving of uh, the... Yeah, I think she... I'm sorry, you do keep breaking up, but I do think that she's going out to make the very, very best deal that she can for this country. And unless we get behind her, we are not going to get a good deal. Whether we believe in her politics or not, that's irrelevant. We've now... We've, uh, people have made their choice mm. and we're coming out and the people have got to stop behaving in this childish manner. Okay. They don't like it. Well, I'm very sorry, but that's the way it is and we've all got to make the best of it now. All right, Valerie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, 03700 100 444 is the number. Let me read some of the texts and emails that are coming in. Uh, I think Mrs May was very brave to carry on. This shows what a tenacious and steadfast person she is. Uh, this will be very good in negotiations with the European Union. Another here, Sue, uh, who says, since when did I live in a country when somebody can be sacked for having a cold? Uh, another one, uh, mishaps during the speech were out of May's control. Her running of the country is not. That is what is she is being judged on, says Maximilian. And uh, another one here, Sarah Hemming. One reason we have May is because the competition was so poor. Well, look, we are going to talk about what might happen after um if she does decide to go um who could it be in her stead and the questioner on the program we'll come to this in a minute was um talking about boris johnson uh, your thoughts on boris or any of the other people who may take over if mrs may decides she doesn't want to carry on 03700 100 444 but first of all let's let's stay with theresa may what you made of that performance is she damaged goods now let's speak to di williams um di good afternoon Hello, good afternoon. Uh, hello, hello. So first of all, what did you make of the performance? As our last caller said, anybody who undermines her at this point is indecent. Do you agree? I think she's coping with a cabinet in a transition crisis, which is fairly typical six, several months after an election, uh, where they're in disarray, and probably she's the most stable one of, one of the most stable ones of the group because she at least was prime minister before the le- election, she knows what she's doing in terms of running the country. She knows what she needs to do in terms of getting the Brexit negotiations, keeping them on track. The, the, the disruption from the rest of the cabinet is, is predictable, and it could quite well go on for another two or three months, and the country cannot afford the luxury of political infighting in the Conservative Party. Um, 
if you if you replace her with any new prime minister, it will it'll take at least six to twelve months to run for the new person to run into the new job. I agree with what Valerie said just now, and that will be half of our Brexit negotiations gone. We we have got her. With, she's probably as safe a pair of hands as we can get. She's got completely the wrong negotiating team. Mm. And we, what I'm, my suggestion, which was listening to some sensible comments from Caroline Lucas, as I thought, which is that what Mrs May might do is to go for a coalition government. She's got a hung parliament at the moment. Why not go in, uh, take a completely sweep the cabinet table clear and create her own sort of fantasy football team cabinet, taking the best people from all parties who have constructive, positive, and cooperative approaches to the Brexit negotiations and indeed to running the country. We cannot afford political infighting over the next two years or four years, either with Europe or with home affairs. Well, let me, I mean, I'll take on the second part in a moment because there's an email actually which you might find interesting, which is sort of just dropped. Um, but just on the first point of, of who goes in to negotiate, now I, I had a look at some of the German newspapers the day after uh, Theresa May's. Um, speech and almost to a paper they were sitting back and they were having a bit of a laugh uh, I mean quite a, a, a big laugh um, and one of them I think the way I think it might have been Deutsche Allgemeine one of the two I think said uh, the two big ones said she's lost her political voice literally so when you are negotiating do you not need to appear strong not just on the inside not among your peers not among your cohorts where you say look I still retain the reins of power but outside outwardly towards the rest I think the, her voice has been undermined by those around her. Uh, when she has a chance to actually be heard, then she's fairly consistent. I think she's slightly unimaginative. And what she needs is she's just so badly advised on, on, on Brexit. And I think that's a luxury the country cannot afford. Okay. If you took the people like Vince Cable would be my first thought, uh, Nicola Sturgeon from Scotland, um, mm. and with, who's, who's thought through the issues a lot more than a lot of English politicians might have done. Uh, possibly Caroline Lucas. I don't know who in the Labour Party. In theory, it's, it's Jeremy Corbyn because he, in theory, supports Brexit. But I don't know what the. Okay. Yeah, I take your point. You would like to have a more sort of collaborative approach, and I just wanted to read a, a, an email which sort of is also. Uh, suggesting something similar. Um, although I wonder how you, you know, if you can't get people in one party to agree with, if some some have slightly differing views on, on the way to go forward, how are you going to get people with diametrically opposed views like Vince Cable, uh, for example, and David Davis, let's say, who we have now. Uh, let's let's just read this one to you. Stephen Frank, who says, thinking outside the box, if the Tories got rid of Theresa May, they could create a party of national unity by replacing her with a tetrarchy or rule of four, perhaps, comprising two Remainers, for instance, Ruth Davidson and Philip Hammond, and two Brexiteers, David Davidson and Liam Fox. The Roman Emperor, uh, Dio... Now, I'm going to say this wrong, and you're all going to tell me in your toga as I did. Uh, Diocletian did this to good effect in 293 AD to break through a stalemate. He was experiencing, says Stephen Frank. Another one here. I think most people regard the Conservative Party antics as trivia. The issues we need to know more about... Uh, why do we need food banks, etc., says Simon. Uh, let's take another call on this. Or maybe, actually, let's let's sort of merge the two. I'm still happy to take your calls on Theresa May, but also what might happen afterwards. Boris Johnson was once a contender for that position, 
Uh, will he be again? Should he be again? Should that position become vacant? Today we've seen him, he's been doing the rounds, saying get behind Theresa May, get behind the Prime Minister. He's behind the Prime Minister, we're told. Um, Michael Poppin from Dursley in Gloucestershire. Uh, what do you say to that, Michael? Um, well, I'm not really particularly a, a Boris supporter. Um, I just wanted to make some comments about Boris's uh, comments. Um, I've um, been less fortunate enough to travel the travel quite extensively and been to quite a lot of um, conflict zones and, and recently former conflict zones. And um, I was very upset to hear some of your panel members bashing what he said. Um, I'm assuming they've never been to a conflict zone themselves and they certainly don't follow the Libyan press. OK, so first of all, let's just clear... First of all, you're, you're crackling a bit, so hopefully someone will woggle a toggle in the studio and try and make that clearer. But just just to remind people, if they didn't hear what his comments were, the ones that you're referring to, he was talking about CERT, he was talking about a place in Libya, saying it could become a new Dubai as soon as you clear the dead bodies away. Uh, a, a comment which was roundly condemned by a lot of people from all different parties, including his own party. Michael, first of all, you say that you have experience of the region. Let's just clarify, how do you have experience? experience of that region? Um, I've, I've, I've travelled um, independently um, and then um, through the Scout Association I've helped to uh, organise some humanitarian response um, in various refugee camps, all sorts. I've, I've travelled very extensively in the, the Balkans, which obviously have quite a lot of recent conflict. Right. Um, and I just thought it was ironic because, um, I mean, the, the Libyan people, the Libyan press is making absolutely no fuss of this whatsoever. It's a a uh, undesirable but a decidedly British trait, I think, to, um, to dictate to other cultures what their sensibilities should be. Uh, I remember not that long ago when I was uh, younger, we'd you know call uh, black people coloured because uh, you know that should be considered a much a much kinder term for for their race <laughs> than calling them black. And it, uh, some of your panel members just reminded me of that very much. So you think what they're being they're being oversensitive, and it doesn't matter, and what he said doesn't matter. I'm just trying to get to the point of what you're saying. No, no, I think. Uh, no, I think that, you know, we should, um, it sh if, if it didn't offend the Libyan people, um, then it shouldn't matter. And my experience mm. of being on the ground in these recent con conflict zones is that their sentiments are very much, let's clean up the, clean up the bodies, let's get back to security and prosperity. Um, so I think it's very ironic that, we, you know, that some members of your panel were bashing Boris, who has been there, who's okay. been on the ground, who okay. knows what the situation is, and is about, it, I'd say, echoing the thoughts of the Libyan people. Stay with us. I'm going to take another call. Um, stay with us. Don't go away. Uh, Tedri Shah is calling us from London. Hello, Tedri. Hi. Hi there. You. Um, you're very welcome. So, so Michael's saying, look, basically stop being so dainty about it. What he's saying is, you know, what needs to be done, but he said it in quite a crass way. All right, so what? But what he's actually saying is do something about an area that needs some help. What do you say? Um, well, I, I think Boris's disregard for human suffering and, and a statement like that just reflects something a bit deeper. Um, and um, I think to be able to say that in that position is is quite pitiful. Um, what I actually wanted to say was, um, what was surprising was Andrea Ledstam's defence of Boris, which was that he's working hard and he's been to Libya twice. Um, um, I've, wor I've worked for Médecins Sans Frontières. I'm a British doctor working in the NHS as well. And I visited Libya and the situation there in Tripoli in the detention centres is probably in 18 years of working with MFF, one of the worst horrors I have ever seen, where people are tortured, raped, um, adults are becoming malnourished because they're not being given food. 
and the British government, along with the European governments, are um, complicit in supporting the Libyan Coast Guard, taking people back to absolute horrors. Mm. And um, I think, yes, we should talk about the way uh, Boris Johnson speaks, but that isn't the point. The point is the government policy and the policy of taking um, to being complicit in that kind of situation and whitewashing that when we know what is going on in Libya um, is is um, is is the point. And so, Andrea so, Lesson so, defending yeah. Boris by saying he's working hard and going there twice. Well, um, Michael Poppin is also... By. Yeah, you hang on. Michael Poppin is also... He's still with us. He was the caller who rang um, earlier just before you did. Uh, Michael, you're still there. Look, you're, you're both people who've gone to conflict zones and to Libya in particular. Michael, you're saying they don't care about think, comments like this. Tedry's saying, actually, you know, they're human beings and they very much do care. And, and this is a, an appalling humanitarian disaster that should yeah, not be I, treated lightly in any way. Yeah, I think I think T- it's, talk it's, to it's quite right what she said that we should focus on the real issues as opposed to get hung up on the sensibilities around around Boris's comments and you know the point she makes about the Coast Guard and, and things like that are the the real issues and, and people arguing over what Boris was is, is detracting from the you know, from the real issues. Okay. All right, Michael, thank you very much. Tedry, thank you very much. Let's have more on this, more on Boris, uh, more on the uh, Conservative leadership, if you like. 03700 100 444. Here are some emails. Uh, First of all, on the Conservative Party leadership, on Theresa May. Um, I I should say that actually the majority of things that we're getting uh, on text and email are for Mrs May. I want to say what a decent woman Mrs May is and to carry on speaking when everything was against her took a lot of courage. She should be encouraged to continue the job she's undertaken. It's about time politicians and the media stopped making vicious personal attacks on people and showed some human decency says Joan Pruden. Another one here from uh, Mrs M Ward from Herefordshire. Together with many people this household is totally sick and tired of the media, Grant Shapps and whoever else may join in calling for the Prime Minister's resignation. To be faced with a situation where Mrs May is criticised for giving a poor speech because she has a cough is unbelievable and she was not responsible for the stupidity of a self-titled comedian who thought his prank was in any way amusing. We're facing a serious time for our future and the main course of this country is to get on with Brexit negotiations and get the job done. The outcome of the referendum was clear and whether people like it or not, we are a democratic country and the will of the people should stand. It's time for the critics to shut up. Uh, Let's take another call. Richard Larder is calling us from Thurs. Uh, Richard, why don't you tell me whether you agree with the last email? Do you think Theresa May should stay in position? And if not, is Boris the man? Is there a Boris-shaped hole in in well, the leadership? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, Theresa May should go and and, and quickly. Um, and as far as Boris is concerned, absolutely no way. I mean, the guy, you know, I think a, a phrase that uh, that politicians use nowadays is "let's be clear." Well, let's be clear about this. Um, Boris Johnson is taking money under false pretenses as foreign secretary. He's anti-European. The comments that he makes are disgusting. I mean, I mean, it really, really embarrasses me to listen to this, this buffoon speak. Um, you know, ranting on, on, on about uh, sort of Rudyard Kipling and, and, and Myanmar. Uh, 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 sort of. Mm. This is his and... reciting of the Road to Mandalay poem, which has. Yeah, some I mean, the, the, the guy's not contentious real. Um, quite honestly, it, yeah. if, if, if you look at most of the press photographs of this guy, he's got this sort of inane, inane grin on his face, as though I'm unsackable. 
nothing I do or say is going to get me the sack. And it's true. You know, she's got to get rid of this idiot. And quite honestly, you know, it frightens me, seriously frightens me, that this man could ever be a prime minister. So, so to let me tell we get, I think you're loud and clear on what you think about him. So who should be steering the ship through Brexit? Well, there should be, uh, quite honestly, I, have a, I know it's a terrible, terrible thing to say, but we should have another election um, quickly because we're not being taken seriously by the uh, the EU. Um, you know, David Davis is is, is basically said, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, well, as soon as I've sort of the, uh, steered the ship so far, then yeah. Boris can do OK, so, so you want another election. OK, fine. But then who do you want to win that election? I'm asking you, Richard. Who do you, I mean, your ideal, the Richard Larder uh, ideal scenario is what? Well, in previous uh, elections, I've always voted Liberal. And uh, unfortunately, you know, because of the, the scenario with Nick Clegg and, uh, and David yeah. Cameron, I felt that I could no longer do that. So in the last election, I did vote for Jeremy Corbyn. I wasn't a, a, a certainly a sort of left-wing or anything like that, and I'm, I do consider myself middle of the road. What I do like about Corbyn and what I do like about the, uh, you know, some of the, the, the MPs, you know, doing mm-hmm. exactly what, uh, uh, to Corbyn, what, what some of the, the, uh, the, the cabinet are doing to Theresa May. OK. But the reality is I truly do believe that he's telling the truth, and I do believe that, that he sort of says, as is, I wouldn't okay. like to see us go back to a um, a socialist sort of uh, revolution. Okay, but Richard, I but, but I mean, the simple question, I mean, it was a very simple question because I've got a lot of calls lined up. So, um, you know, who who did you want to steer the ship? You say Jeremy Corbyn. I put that out. 03700 100 444. What do people think? Uh, just in response to our previous caller who said uh, the people of Libya weren't bothered with what Boris Johnson had to say. Uh, why is he being criticised? Uh, this is from Paul Slater, who's tweeted us. Boris Johnson's comments did offend the Libyan people. The Libyan parliament has asked for an official apology. Another one here. Dehumanising any group of people is despicable. It sets a dangerous precedent. Boris Johnson's comments about clearing the dead bodies in cert shows his utter disdain for fellow human beings. With key politicians uttering comments like that, no wonder everyone hates us. Uh, let's talk... A little bit, shall we, about Spain and what's going on in Spain, because that's still figuring high in the bulletins. You would have seen the quite um, violent crackdowns by police in the run-up to that independence referendum there in uh, Catalonia. Uh, Let's see what you make of that. Raquel Diaz is actually calling us from somewhere near Barcelona. Hello, Raquel. Hello, Anita. Hi. So, look, with the question of Catalan independence, which has been very high up in everybody's minds and, and on the running orders of news bulletins all over the world, not just in Spain, mm-hmm. um, what are we to make of this? You're near the ground. What did you see? What I see is that it is a divided society. Not a, not everyone in Catalonia defends independence. And what we're hearing now is a pro-separatist. Um, in the referendum, uh, most people, most people that voted, 90% were the, the pro-independence people because the silent majority didn't go to vote because they thought it was an illegal referendum anyway. Mm. So that's what I think. That so we're so, not the, way, so the, the way majority. the pictures seemed to us, Raquel, was that there were yeah. people who were peacefully sitting outside polling stations or trying to get in to vote in polling stations. And instead of allowing the vote to go through and saying, look, actually, it's null and void for whatever reason, if that's the decision of the state, that's the decision of the state, they sent in police very, very heavy-handedly. We saw saw pictures of police 
pulling men and women out by the hair and throwing them into the street? I, I totally agree with violence and the police action. You agree um, with the police action? Tell me why. No, no, no. not at all, not at all. Oh, you don't agree with the police action. I, I am right. against violence. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the people in Catalonia deserve to be heard and they, they, they deserve to be given their opportunity, like in Scotland, to vote whether they want to become independent or not. But it's got to be a legal referendum. So I do not agree with any part. I do not agree with the Spanish government and with the regional government. That, that was not the way to do things. Yeah. OK, thank you very much for your call, Raquel. Let's just read some of these emails out. I'll take another on this. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Spain has descended into fascism again, says Jack Cox. I feel quite disgusted seeing the jackboots stamping on citizens' faces. All people everywhere should have the right to govern themselves. It's what the majority of them want. Uh, another one here it says, I am Catalan and I'm a British citizen. I used to think being part of the European Union was a good thing, that it guaranteed solidarity and advancement for its entire people. It would appear, however, the European Council, the European Parliament and the European Commission might not think such rights apply to the 2.2 million Catalan citizens who, under threat, 800 injured, managed to take part in the Catalan referendum of October the 1st. I wonder if today's crisis in Spain is a crisis of democracy. Uh, Let us take another on this. Christopher Rose is calling us uh, from Suffolk. Good afternoon, Christopher. Hello. Hi there, Christopher. So you had a caller you heard from Barcelona, Raquel, saying actually it just wasn't, wasn't a representative referendum. She didn't like the police action, but this did not represent what her people were thinking or wanting. Yes, well, it's very difficult to say that yet, isn't it? Because we didn't have a full, proper referendum conducted under normal circumstances. So self-evidently, we can't know what the actual feelings are. Um, Perhaps some people were sufficiently intimidated not to be able to get to the polling station at all or even attempt to. So I think, you know, obviously that argument collapses at once. But the point is, it's not about whether they'd vote yes or no. It's about their right um, to have a choice. And I think, um, as is clear... There's an equivalence between the EU, palpably, and the Spanish government in the sense that they both think it's perfectly all right, or at least tolerable, uh, tolerable um, for people to be not denied what is a basic human right and which has been enshrined in international law um, as such for almost a century now, since Wilson's 14 points. So I think if people didn't realise what organisation they were subscribing to by continuing to wish to remain with the EU, now perhaps some of the clouds of... Um, uh, difficulty in understanding its true nature are beginning to disperse. Christopher, thank you very much for your call. Um, four minutes left of this programme, just under, so I know, let's deal with that light subject of fracking. Um, it was a heated topic of debate on the programme. It is as well among you this afternoon. Uh, Ginny Shaw is calling us from somewhere near York. Ian MacDonald is calling us from Ryan, East Sussex. Ginny, first of all, you. Um, you live quite close to one of the areas which has been licensed to do some fracking exploration, is that right? Well, I live in a, a fracking licence area. OK. Uh, I live in, the, in an INEOS, uh, covered by an INEOS licence. Right, OK. And, and Ian MacDonald, you're somebody who has worked in, uh, what, North Sea Oil, is that right? Well, I've, yeah, I worked for 40 years in the mm-hmm. oil and gas industry mm-hmm. and around the world. OK. So, so can, can we sort of... Because, because time is so short, um, Ginny, would it be fair to say that you're anti and Ian, you think it's a pretty smart way forward? Let's first of all lay out your stores. Ginny, why is it such a bad idea? 
Well, I, I don't think it's safe. Um, I think that uh, the, the threat to our wildlife, our beautiful Yorkshire countryside, um, the air that we breathe, the um, well, on the water, the uh, potential threat to the aquifer. Um, if the aquifer goes, then uh, we, we we can't get it back. Mm. And um, I don't really believe that the industry uh, do know. They they say all sorts of um, what they would call facts. And um, and really, uh, the those of us who are opposed to fracking, we have. We have boned up on this. Okay. And All right. Well, just let, let me let me go to Ian McDonald because you hear mm-hmm. from Ginny. It's in her backyard, and she's worried about it. Ian, she's very worried about it. Why is she, is she wrong to be worried about it? Well, no, I understand why people are concerned concerned about it, but th- this is not a new technique. This is something that the oil and gas industry has been applying for the last fifty or sixty years. Uh, in fact, well over two million wells around the world have been hydraulically fractured. It's a very normal way of stimulating oil and gas production and increasing the flow of, uh, of oil wells and gas wells. In response to the issue about aquifers, uh, all of the shale and tight gas and oil that could be found in the UK is well below any aquifers that are used in the UK. Mm. Typically, these are in depths of two to 6,000 feet, uh, and we don't take water from aquifers much below seven or 800 feet. Mm. Um, just, just, uh, they, uh, just they, very, they I mean, Ian, we're just, again, it's time. It always is time at uh, 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 this juncture when we get very interesting callers. But um, Caroline Lucas's point that if you become just, if you get transfixed by the fracking solution, you just take your eyes off a longer term solution, which is a greener solution, a less polluting, a less fossil fuel reliant solution. Well, well, we'll get there in the end. But, you know, there's a, a billion and a half people around the world today that have no electricity. And I think it's a very sort of Western middle class view to sort of say that, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we've got to get off hydrocarbons. We've got to get off gas. The fact is that 85 percent of the world's energy today mm-hmm. comes from hydrocarbons okay. and, they, uh, and fossil fuels. Yes, we are moving away from it. But it's going to take... It's going to take time. And time is what we don't have. That's all from us. Same time next week. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Any Answers. Don't forget, if you want to hear any questions or you'd like to invite the programme to your venue, then please go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. I'm Anita Arnand. Thank you for listening.